We'll start in Luke chapter 4 this morning, Luke chapter 4. Now this is uh, what I'm about to read to you is immediately following what we've already referred to yesterday morning, and that is where Jesus read out of the book of Isaiah about the Spirit of the Lord being upon him and uh, how that that scripture was being fulfilled uh, in their ears that very day. And, And then we see in verse 23, he said unto them, ye will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. Now I want you to know that he is at that moment in Nazareth where uh, he was raised. Uh, and, um, and so the, uh, the, the prophet, that is the rabbi, that is Jesus, has come back to his hometown. And, uh, and he says, you will say unto me, physician, heal thyself. Whatever you've done in other places like Capernaum, Do it here in your own home as well. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. That reminds me of something that um, uh, an elder said one time, I believe it's Elder Sonny Piles maybe that said it, that a big preacher is just a little preacher a long way from home. And back home, you know, maybe uh, uh, you, you folks receive me real well, and I'm not going to pick on my home folks. They do as well. But Jesus is here saying that uh, the prophet, because you saw the, the folks saw him grow up there, right? And uh, know his history and his background that he becomes maybe not as, uh, as accepted. And this, then Jesus says two things that are very interesting. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three and a half years, when great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them, unto no widow, was Elijah sent, save to Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And then he says a second thing. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman, the Syrian. So Jesus has just said, you're going to say unto me, physician, heal thyself. And that's exactly what they said to him when he was on the cross. You saved others. Can you not save yourself? And then he said, you're going to, to want me to perform miracles here in Nazareth, just like I have performed in Capernaum and other places. But I want you to remember this, that even though there were a lot of widows, a lot of people in need during that drought period of three and a half years, unto no one was the prophet sent except to one widow. And I want you to remember this also, that there was a point in time where there were a lot of lepers in all of Israel, but God sent the prophet to one leper in particular, and he was a Syrian. That got me to wondering about these stories. And let's go back and take a look at just what these stories were all about. The widow story is in 1 Kings chapter 17. 
1 Kings chapter 17, we see that uh, Elijah uh, the Tishbite, who is a prophet of God, and God has told uh, him in, in verse 1, uh, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And we know that that lasted for three and a half years. In fact, that drought of three and a half years ended just after an event that should be very special to this church. And that is the events that happened on Mount Carmel where God showed that he is sovereign. And you remember after that, Elijah said, uh, uh, go, told his servant, go and look for a cloud. And he, he went and looked several times and he came back and said, well, I see a cloud just about the size of a man's hand, right? You, and, and not much of one. So, and, and Elijah at that point said, uh, let's get up and go because there's an, a sound of an abundance of rain, right? From that one little cloud in the sky, Elijah was saying, I, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. Well, uh, during that time period, and there was a, a great drought, and you think about maybe a terrible recession or even a depression that, uh, that might happen uh, in our economy, there was a great drought, and it lasted for three and a half years. And during this three and a half year period, a lot of people were in need. A lot of people needed food. A lot of people needed help. But God sent the prophet to only one widow, and that widow was not even an Israelite. And that's what we have in chapter 17, beginning in verse 8. The word of the Lord came unto him, that is unto Elijah, saying, Arise, get thee to Zareph, and which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, now listen to this language, God tells Elijah, Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Now what you'll see in just a few moments is, you will see that that widow woman did not realize she had been commanded to take care of Elijah. And yet God right here says, I've commanded her. Isn't it amazing that sometimes God can put things within us that we don't even realize that God's working within us and yet He is preparing us to take care, to help, to, to minister to somebody even though it seems like we're the one that needs to be ministered to, yet God is preparing us to minister to somebody else. And we don't even know it sometimes, right? Just like what God has said here. He says, get, get on over there to her, uh, to this widow woman, and, uh, and I've commanded her to sustain thee. So he arose, he went to uh, uh, Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, there was a widow there. Now what luck? No. We see the sovereignty of God at work here, don't we? That when he gets to the very place God told him to go to, there is that person whom God had prepared, even though she didn't know it, that God had prepared to take care of the prophet. So he arose, went to the, the city. When he got to the gate, the widow woman was there gathering sticks. And he called unto her and he said, uh, hey, how about bringing me some water? Now, that's not exactly how it's recorded in the King James Version, but that's pretty much what she said, right? That's what, pretty much what he said. He said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And so uh, she didn't know him. They didn't uh, know one another, didn't introduce. But yet here he says, uh, how about getting me a drink of water? And she 
goes and gets him a drink of water. And as she steps away and is, is headed to get him water, he, he hollers back and says, oh, and by the way, how about some bread as well while you're doing it? Uh, bring me a, a morsel of bread as well. And she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel. A handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. That's how bad things were. She said, I've got a, just a handful of meal. I've got a little bit of oil. I'm going to gather up some sticks. I'm going to go make a fire. I'm going to bake a cake for us. Uh, and, uh, and let me tell you, it wasn't a, a cake like what we might have downstairs. Not to get you salivating already and getting to think about lunch, but, you know, this was just a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil, and, and she was going to break a, a, just a little bit of bread, and they were going to eat the bread, and then it was going to be over. There was no more going to the grocery store. There was no more uh, uh, getting any more food. They were going to eat their last little bit, and then they were going to die. Now that sounds like it's a pretty desperate situation, doesn't it? And here the prophet says, well, before you eat your last meal and die, bring me a little bit of it first, right? Bring some to me first. Well, uh, uh, she, she said, uh, uh, Elijah said unto her, fear not. Now that's a good message from God right there is fear not. That's, that's always a good, in fact, the scriptures are, are always telling us to, to not fear or to not fret. Now, fret not is, is a very uh, common phrase throughout the scriptures, fret not, and it's not talking about what you do when you get taught. Just want to make sure y'all are still with me here. You know, uh, he's talking about don't be worried, don't be afraid, right? Right? And so uh, here the message to the, to the widow woman is, fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but... Make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me. And after that, you can make the rest for you and your son and, uh, and, and then go like you're going to be. But he says, but let me give you some hope here. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, that even though you only have a handful of meal and a little of oil in, a, in the cruise, Right. Uh, even though you've just got a little bit and, and it seems like there's no hope and there's a drought going on and there's no way to get more. And even though it seems like that all is lost and even though it seems like that, that there is just no way that you're going to get past all of that. Let me tell you, God is going to provide. And that is why one of his names is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides because he knows how to provide. He knows how to make it last, doesn't he? I mean, we think about when he met, when he uh, fed the five thousand, right? And oh, we just got a couple of little fish and loaves of bread here, and you know, we just got a little bit. We don't have every, enough to feed everybody. And, and Jesus said, "We'll sit them down in an orderly fashion, and you'll see something amazing happen." And they passed it all out, and you remember how that they took up. 12 basketfuls of, uh, of food uh, as, uh, as leftovers, right? And they wrapped them up in saran wrap and sent them home. They're good, right? So here we go. Uh, Jesus says, you just wait and see. You'll watch, uh, uh, watch what happens. And they ended up with more 
than they started with in the first place. Reminds me of that song we sing sometimes about casting our bread upon the waters and it will come back in many ways. And that takes faith. It takes faith to cast your bread upon the waters. It takes faith when you're down to your last little handful of meal and your last little bit of oil. And it takes faith to, to bake a cake for somebody else instead of your own self, right? It takes faith to take care of somebody else and to minister to somebody else when it seems like you need to be ministered to. You're the one that's in need. You're the one that's hurting. And it takes faith to do that. And God says, if you will do that, if you will minister to others, if you will do what He says for you to do, then God will bless you abundantly and it will never run out. But I want you to know also that when she did this, and she did, she did according to the saying of Elijah, and, 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 uh, and baked him a little cake. And then it says, and she uh, uh, and he and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke by Elijah, that it continued on and it continued on and it continued on. But I also want to point out this fact, that uh, when she baked that cake and gave it to Elijah, it wasn't all of a sudden her pantry was full of flour and oil and other uh, things to eat. It wasn't that her pantry all of a sudden ended up full. She didn't go open the pantry door and say, wow, uh, I, I must have missed something there. No, it was a day-by-day -day situation even after that day-by-day. -day. And God said, I will provide each and every day what you stand in need of. And you go to your pantry door and you say, but Lord, I would rather have my pantry full. I would rather have it full. I would rather know that the blessings are going to be there in the future, right? I would rather know that I can depend on it tomorrow. I want to go to bed tonight knowing that it's going to be okay tomorrow. And God says, you just trust me. It'll work out all right. If you just trust me on a day-by-day -day basis, it will work out all right. And isn't that exactly what the Israelites had to depend upon in the wilderness? Each and every day, they, they had to wake up and trust that the manna was going to be there. And they would go out and gather up the manna, and the manna would not last overnight. They tried to save it up, and it would, it would rot overnight. And, and there was just no way to save it, except that on the sixth day, they could save up enough for the Sabbath day. And amazingly, miraculously, it would, it would uh, be okay on the Sabbath day. God says, I will provide. And sometimes that provision, sometimes what God does for us is on a day-by-day-by-day -day -day basis. And we go to bed at night and we say, I don't know how it's all going to work out tomorrow, but God is going to work it out. And that I know. And God sometimes does that with folks who are not of Israel. God sometimes makes it work out for your neighbors and for people that you you might look at and, and we might say god i don't know why you're blessing them they're not they're not living like they're of israel but god makes it work out for them he makes it to rain on the just and the unjust but even more important than that as we've already talked about out of the book of revelation there's nobody that knows whose names are written in the lamb's book of life except god himself god knows his children and, 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 uh, and we don't have the ability to call roll to see if they're going to heaven or not. They're God's people. 
And so this woman, uh, she, she does what God says. But you know what happens after that? What happens after that is, is that her son gets sick. To the point that, verse 17 says, there was no breath left in him. And she says, you know, Elijah, I, I trusted God, but what have you done, Elijah? You, did you come over here just to remind me of my sins and, and to take my son away from me to slay him? Is that why you came here? And all of a sudden, she kind of loses sight of who has provided for her. She loses sight and she says, you've just come to tell me uh, that, that I'm wrong, to remind me that I'm, uh, I'm a sinner, to remind me that I'm not uh, of God. You've just come over here to remind me of that and to take away from me the one thing. Would you, you remember, dear widow woman, that you were ready to go build a fire, bake a cake, and you and your son sit down and die? You were ready for that when you had things within your own hand. But now that things have gotten into the hand of God, now that God has provided for you, now that God has shown you He is sovereign, you're going to hold Him accountable for the death of your son when you and you had it in your own hand that you were ready for Him to die anyway. And she says to Elijah, is this what you've come for? Well, Elijah shows um, uh, that compassion and mercy which God expects of us and which God Himself has shown. And, and he says, give me your son. He took him out of her uh, hand, carried him up to his loft where he uh, abode, laid him, this child, upon his own bed. And he cries unto the Lord, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? Now the preacher, now the preacher is feeling a little downcast and questioning God. And let me tell you, from, the, from my experience as a pastor since 1991, I can tell you, and I don't know if this has been the experience of, of Elder Bloyd or Elder Aquino, but it's been my experience that sometimes I get to questioning God too. Even though I'm the preacher, even though I'm the pastor, even though I'm the one who's supposed to be bringing the message, even though I'm the one who proclaims the Word of God Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, even though I depend upon Him, yet sometimes I'm the one who gets to question God. And God reminds me that He is sovereign. And it says that the prophet Elijah stretched himself upon the child three times. And I can just imagine, he's laying there on the bed of Elijah and Elijah uh, lays over him three times, three times, and, and says, O oh Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come unto him again. And the Lord heard his voice, and, uh, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And he took the child to his mother and said, Here he is alive again. Well, let me tell you that sometimes God provides these kinds of miracles. And, uh, it, you know, this reminds me uh, a bit of, of, uh, of God's own son, Jesus, his only begotten son, who died upon the cross. And what did Jesus cry out? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
And isn't that essentially what Elijah is saying as well? God, why have you forsaken this widow? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken this situation? Why have you allowed this to occur? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And Jesus dies and is laid in the tomb. And three nights go by. And he raises Jesus again. And he says, here is your son alive. Here he is alive. And you can rejoice. Aren't you glad that God sent the prophet Elijah to this widow woman in the time of this drought? You remember the other situation was where God sent a prophet, this time Elisha, sent Elisha to a leper. And even though there was many, many lepers in all of Israel, yet God sent Elisha, the prophet, to this one and only one leper. Now, there are a lot of folks in Israel who are hurting, a lot of folks in Israel who have leprosy. And leprosy was a horrible, horrible disease. I mean, uh, it, 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 was, uh, it would start out at one place on your body. It, was, uh, it would look white to the, to, the, uh, to the eye. It would look white, and, and it would spread. I mean, it's, uh, I, I'm no medical person, so what I'm saying, you know, I, I barely know what I'm talking about here, if that. But I, I, it would spread, and it's, it's somewhat like what you would think of in terms of cancer, except you could actually see it, right? You could actually see it spreading. And it would cause you to waste away. It would actually eat away at you. Some, and I don't want to get too awful graphic here, but sometimes it would eat away to the point that part of your body would fall off. And it was just a horrendous disease. People who had leprosy were, were counted as outcasts. You remember that in times past they had leper colonies. So that if somebody had uh, leprosy, they would be put, in, put into a, uh, a special place and, and kept there and quarantined there. If at any point they left and they were approaching somebody, they, as they saw somebody approaching, they were supposed to yell out, unclean, unclean. And to let everybody know that they were unclean. It was dealt with as uh, a, 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 an emblem of sin. Second Kings chapter 5. Let's see who the Lord sent the prophet to. Uh, which, uh, which leper he sent the prophet to. Second Kings chapter 5. We meet a man named Naaman. And Naaman is a soldier. In fact, he's, he's called the captain of the host of the king of Syria. Naaman also, not an Israelite, Naaman is a Syrian. The Syrians were enemies to the Israelites. You can read all through Scripture how that uh, Syria was, uh, was opposed to Israel and they would invade Israel and such. And that's exactly what happened. Naaman, the captain of the host of the king of Syria, he wasn't just a soldier. He was a high-ranking official. And it says that he was a great man with his master. 
that his master, the king of Syria, thought very well of him. He was essentially the right-hand man of the king of Syria. In today's environment, in, to, uh, in the way that we understand uh, uh, the, the workings of the military and such nowadays, we might say that Naaman was the chief of staff of the king. That if you wanted to get to the king, you had to go through Naaman to be able to do so. And the king trusted Naaman so much that he, that he just gave all this authority to him. He was a great man with his master and he was honorable. Now the Israelites wouldn't have thought so because if you're a Syrian to the Israelite, that means by nature you can't be honorable. The two don't go together. They, 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 they just, it's just impossible. But here God says that even though he's a Syrian, he was honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. Wait just a minute. The Lord delivered Syria? That's not supposed to happen. The Lord delivering some ungodly people like the Syrians? I thought the Lord loved Israel forever. Doesn't that mean God hates everybody else? Well, evidently God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And God delivered Syria by the hand of Naaman, the captain of the host of the king of Syria. And he was a mighty man in valor. He was brave. He fought hard. He, he, was, a, he, he was a mighty person. And then we get that word, but. Now, I think I've preached that message here before, haven't I? But God, you're going along in life, and, and, and things are either going well or they're going bad. Either way, and then God intervenes, right? And we see this happening so many times. We're dead in trespasses and in sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love with love has quickened us, right? By His grace, made us alive. Jesus Christ was dead. He was in the grave. But God rose him, raised Him from the dead, right? And, and we see that going on. We're going along in life and we say, oh, things are going so bad here and, and things are going south and, and, and this world is, is terrible. And it is. I want you to remember, though, that there is a but God coming one of these days. One of these days, there is a but God is coming. Evil seems to be triumphing here in this world, but God is going to make sure that there is victory. He has already essentially made it happen. And so here is this captain of the, of the, of the host of Syria. He's the king's right-hand man. He's an honorable man. He's a man of, of valor. But he was a leper. But he was a leper. And the Syrians... Now I want you to, to, to think about this. Let me just continue reading for a moment. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid... And she waited on Naaman's wife. They had gone and invaded Israel and taken captives out of Israel, one of which was this little maid, this little girl, this young little girl. They had taken her captive. 
very likely they had killed her parents and had ripped her out of her home and out of her land into a land of strangers. And now she was a servant, a slave to Naaman's wife, this little maid was. And I want you to think back, you know, about when you were young. And you think about how tragic and heart-wrenching that must have been for this young little girl. The enemy has come in and invaded and they've taken you captive. And the very man that commanded the army has taken you captive and brought you into his house to serve his wife. Think about the mentality of that. Think about how you would be in your attitude toward this man and this country. Think about it. And he's a leper. And she said to her mistress, Naaman's wife, would God he would suffer a whole lot and die quick. Is that what your Bible says? Mm -mm. She says, would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. She actually wanted him to be recovered. She wanted him to be healed of his leprosy. Even though he and his army, and he was directly responsible for invading Israel, killing her parents probably, and bringing her to Syria to be a slave and a servant in his household. And in spite of all of that, she had compassion and said, I wish that he were healed of his leprosy. Wow. Jesus says to pray for your enemies. Mm. That's, some, that's one thing to pray for them. To, to, to want them to be healed? How about praying for your enemy that they would actually see God and be converted to following Jesus Christ? Wouldn't that be something? Can you imagine? You know, um, there's a statistic that says uh, that of the, of the young people between the ages of 18 and 22, young people between the 18, ages of 18 and 22, 70% of them will leave the church. 70%. Can you imagine that if that were reversed? And between the ages of 18 and 22, that, those who weren't in the church, 70% of them would come into the church? You would, I can remember when this sanctuary was that way, right? And, and you did it this way and expanded and you've, you've seen more. You'd have to build a whole new sanctuary if that were the case. Would to God that that were the case. Would to God that that were the case. And how do we pray? We pray for them. And we, we, we pray that they would be transformed by the renewing of their minds. Isn't that exactly what Jonah did, even though he didn't want to at first, right? Jonah said, those folks in Nineveh, they don't deserve any blessings from you, God. I don't want to go and preach for them. God says, you're going to go preach for them. And sure enough, he, he went and preached for them. After a little detour through a well, he went and preached for them. And sure enough, 
There was a revival that occurred in Nineveh and people rejoiced in God and turned to, to God and, and, and became uh, a God-fearing people. And what did Jonah do? He went and sat up on a cliff overlooking the city of Nineveh and he said, Lord, I knew you'd do that. I knew that, that if I went, if, if you blessed me to go preach for these folks, that they would convert. I, I knew that you were a merciful God. Why'd you have to be so merciful? And that's the mercy that this young maid not only desires, but actually expects to happen with the man who took her captive. Wow. So, I've got to hurry this story up. And so somebody goes and he tells the uh, Naaman what the uh, little maid had said. And you know, you would think maiden, I mean the Naaman to think, that's a little girl, she doesn't know what she's talking about. But when you have leprosy and when you know that it's a death sentence, it might change your mind. It might change your thought processes. I can't, uh, here I'm going to chase another rabbit, but the, I, there's so many instances where, where people throughout their life reject God until there's an incident in their life, right? They, they don't pay any attention to God until there's something in their life and then all of a sudden they want God to pay attention to them. And they miss out on a lot of blessings in the meantime. You can, you can see uh, celebrities, you know, they, they lose somebody, they, somebody close to them dies, and they, they'll say, oh, they're looking down from us, uh, on us from above. They can't bring themselves to say heaven just from above, right? And, and, so, and, and all of a sudden, they're, they, they think that there's something beyond this, right? Let me tell you, people all the time get into situations and they ignore God until they get in a situation and then they want God to save them from it. Let me tell you, there's blessings to be had from not waiting till that time. So the king of Syria said, go to and, and go. He's telling Naaman, the king of Syria is telling Naaman, you have my authority to go to the king of Israel and, and to take this letter and take with you some silver and some gold and some changes of raiment, you know, some of the, the nice finery of Syria. You take all of this uh, so that you can bribe the king into, uh, into giving you a, 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 an access to this prophet. So Naaman brings the letter to the king of Israel. And what does the letter say? King of Israel opens it up and he reads, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Well, it had been nice if you'd have sent the letter by somebody who didn't have leprosy. And the king of Israel tears his clothing, which shows a sign of sorrow, which shows a sign of mourning. Because now the king knows that he has in his hands a letter that had been in the hands of a leprous fellow. And he rends his clothes and he says, Who do they think I am? That I'm God? That I can clean him from his leprosy? Do they think that I'm the one that, that, that has the power over life and death? 
Do they think that I am God? You know what this is? This is the king of Syria. He knows he can't uh, cure Naaman of his leprosy. So now he's going to use Naaman as a chemical warfare agent to come and declare war on me and kill me by giving me leprosy. That's what the king says. <coughs> now Elisha, the prophet, he heard about what had gone on. He heard about how the king had rent his clothing and what had been, had been said and what had been done. And he, he, uh, he sends to the king and he says, Why have you torn your clothing? Why have you rent your clothes? Let him now, let this Naaman, the leper, come unto me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman goes with his horses and with his chariot and all of his people and all of this uh, silver and gold and changes of raiment and all this stuff and he stands at the door of the house of Elisha. Now this is the, the number two guy in all of Syria. The guy who had already invaded Israel and taken captives away and now he goes back to Israel and, and, and approaches the king and the king thinks he's a secret uh, agent or not so secret agent. He thinks he's an, uh, an agent to destroy him. And, and he's coming now to the door of Elisha and you think about how that our dignitaries, and I use that word loosely, are treated now rolling out the red carpet and inviting them in. They've got this feast and all this stuff goes on. So here is in a name and he's, he's the number two guy in all of us here. He comes to Elisha and he's expecting to be treated in that royal manner. But instead, Elisha sends a messenger to, uh, to Naaman. Naaman who is standing at his door. Elisha doesn't even go to the door himself. But he sends a messenger and he says, tell him to wash seven times in the river Jordan. And, uh, and that his flesh uh, 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 shall come again uh, and, and that he shall be clean. And that makes Naaman mad. It upsets Naaman that Elisha didn't treat him like royalty, that Elisha didn't treat him like the important person that he was, that Elisha didn't treat him like he thought he should be treated. But instead just sent a messenger and said, go wash in Jordan. And you know what he says? Naaman says, go wash in Jordan. That filthy, wretched place. Now it's not recorded just like that in the King James, but it's, it's pretty close. Go wash in Jordan, that wretched, filthy place. We've got better water back home. Couldn't I have just washed there? Couldn't he have just sent a messenger? And here I've traveled all this time, all this distance. I've had all this trouble. Here, here I've, I've left my home. You know, I, I, I've gone through all of this. And he tells me to go wash in that wretched, dirty water of Jordan. That's what he says. It's, you have to read in between the lines, but he says... says that doesn't make sense in fact as my grandfather said doesn't even make good nonsense right so he turned and went away in a rage in a rage about this 
and his servants come after him, and they try to calm him down, and they speak to him, and they say, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean. If the prophet had said unto you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? If the prophet had said unto you that you are to climb to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and from the glacier that is on top, take some of the, uh, the, the ice from it and bring it back down. And while you're there, go ahead and pluck a flower from the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and bring it down and boil that glacier water and make some tea out of it and drink it while you stand on your head, wouldn't you have done it? If the prophet had told you to go across the ocean to a land you've never been to before and go find a dragon and clip his toenails and wash his feet, wouldn't you have done it? You were expecting that the prophet would tell you some amazing thing to do. Maybe some magical potion, maybe some, some ritual that you could go through that, that is just astounding. And instead, he tells you to go wash in that wretched, dirty Jordan River. You were expecting to have to do something hard, something difficult, but he just made it simple for you. Go dip yourself seven times in the River Jordan and you're going to be clean. And it's going to be that simple. Well, they did turn Naaman's mind back, and he did it. He went and dipped seven times in the River Jordan. And sure enough, according to the Word of God, Naaman was healed of his leprosy. He had it no more. Naaman was expecting that the, that, that, that the prophet would lay a hand on, on the place, and it would be healed, and, 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 and Naaman was cured by dipping himself in the River Jordan. So he returned unto the man of God and all of his company and he stood before him. Now he's standing before him, you see. Now Elisha will allow him to have an audience with Elisha, with the man of God. Behold, now I know, Naaman says, behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. There's no God in all the earth but the God of Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing from thy servant. Let me give you the gold. Let me give you the silver. Let me give you the clothing. Let me give you all of this stuff. And, and, uh, and, and Elisha says, no thanks. Nope. As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him again to take it. And, and Elisha said, no, not going to do it. So Elijah says, well, then please give me from here in the land of Israel, give me two mules burden of earth. I want you to, to remember this because this is symbolic. I want you to give me two mules burden of earth. He wanted dirt from Israel enough that there was two mules burden of dirt. He says, and if you'll do that from henceforth, I will not offer a burnt offering nor a sacrifice to any other God, but only unto the Lord that is the one true and living God. 
but I want you to forgive me of this one thing. Give me advance permission to do this, uh, advance atonement to go, and because when my master, the king of Syria, goes in to worship his God in the house of Rimmon, he and he leans on my hand. I'm his right hand, and he expects me to be there with him. And I'm going to take this dirt where we kneel there, because I'm going to have to kneel there. I'm going to take this dirt from Israel, and I'm going to put it there where I kneel, so that I am kneeling on holy ground. Even though I'm in the world having to deal with all of this other stuff, when I go to worship, I'm going to be kneeling on holy ground. Now, how would you like two places of dirt, two, two helpings of dirt, so that you can kneel on holy ground? Well, put your hand on one knee and put your hand on the other knee and you've got it. Because you're made out of dirt. And because God has entered into your life, because the Holy Spirit has indwelled you, you, my friends, are now holy ground. And wherever you go and whatever the situation may be, no matter what everybody else around you is doing, and no matter what the, what the consequences of, may be of, of doing it, you can always kneel on holy ground. You've got the two mules' burdens right here of holy ground but are you expecting to have to do something hard for God oh is it hard to to give away your last cake your last little piece of bread is it hard to do that well God says you go ahead and do it because I will provide on a daily basis. I will give it to you on a daily basis. Is it hard because maybe you've lost a child? Maybe because you have uh, uh, faced something like that in your life? Maybe you are facing death yourself. Is it hard? I want you to know that even if you are not remaining in this existence... Because Jesus Christ died and was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and rose again, your existence will continue in heaven according to his word. He will not fail. Are you expecting to have to do something hard in order to follow after Jesus Christ? Are you expecting to have to do some great thing? Maybe, maybe you need to go up to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and bring down the glacier uh, ice and bring down the flour and drink tea? Are you expecting to have to go across some land and do some great feat? Let me tell you that Jesus Christ has made it very simple for you. You don't even have to go all the way to the River Jordan. You don't even have to dip yourself seven times. Jesus has made it very simple. As the eunuch asked Philip, Here is water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? 
And if you are here this morning and you have not been baptized in the truth of God's Word, if you have not dipped into the River Jordan as it were, let me ask you, what doth hinder you from being baptized? What is standing in between you and being dipped in the water? Oh, you may not have leprosy that needs to be cleansed, but let me tell you that we have something far worse. When we are away from Jesus Christ and we are not following after Him, leprosy is a piece of cake. Leprosy is easy compared to not having Jesus in your life. You go and be dipped and follow after Jesus. And it's not going to cleanse you from your sin. But it's an answer of a good conscience toward God. Saying, I am ready to do what you want me to do. And Jesus says unto you, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my burden is easy. It is light. Come and follow Jesus Christ today. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 10.30 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application. 